I didn't start the recording until after that joke. So let's start. Huh? No, no. Okay. It's okay. So we'll uh, we'll start with a prayer. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, as we come to the conclusion of discussing the great rules of St. Ignatius, the rules for the discernment of spirits, we realize, Lord, what a gift they were to us, how they have changed the world in so many ways for the good. We ask, Lord, as we cover these last three rules, that we might have a greater understanding, not only of your love for us and your power, but also of the enemy, so that we might reject him. We thank you, Lord, for all the gifts you give us, and we pray tonight that whatever is said may sink deep into our hearts and give us a desire to serve you better. We ask this through the intercession of Mary, our mother, as we pray together. Hail Mary. Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Amen. Saint Ignatius of Loyola. Pray for us. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Amen. So, usually I'm, I'm, I, I, I'm pretty animated in my talks. I think tonight's going to be a little bit more calm because for some reason I got picked uh, to talk about the last three rules, which are all about the devil. So I, I, don't, <clears throat> I don't understand why, but I said yes. That's Could, what your mom told me. <laughs> <laughs> so, the rules of discernment thus far... So my understanding is you've been, you've been working through them. You had the story of St. Ignatius of Loyola. Um, they all, they, they tend to deal with the soul's movement towards God, right? And a lot of the, the first sets of rules deal with spiritual desolation or spiritual consolation. That's what you guys have been talking about over, I don't know, the last four sessions, last four times you had speakers. But now St. Ignatius changes. These last three rules are fundamentally different from the other ones. And they focus directly on the devil. So his last, like it's, you know, uh, John, say John, a lot, of, a lot of great writers, they call what, they do what's called bookend, right? So that if, if you want to know a book, you read the first chapter and the last chapter, and you can pretty much surmise everything. That's how I got through college. <laughs> <laughs> but it's called bookending. So the most important things are in the beginning, and the most important things are at the end, and in the middle is the stuff that you kind of need to work through and, and slowly kind of absorb, Right? So the ending is very, very important. So it's important to know that, that, that the devil for, for saying nations, maybe you had this explained already, is kind of like a threefold thing. <laughs> he, calls, he calls it the enemy, of, the, the enemy of human nature, right? So it's threefold. It's the world, it's your ego, and it's the demonic. Okay? So all three of those things, whenever he's talking about the enemy of human nature, can be acting upon you. But as he goes into these three, he seems to be specifically talking about the demonic. And he says there's three, these three rules, they each deal with the devil as something separately, okay? The demonic is separately. The first one is how the enemy tempts. The second one is the lies and deceits of the enemy. And the third one is how the enemy attacks. And I think, you know, and, and again, I don't know the, the history of the talks, but when I first was introduced to the, the, the rules of St. Ignatius, it was told, you know, they told us, they said, this is not Jesuit. That's very, very important, right? St. Ignatius found the Jesuits, and everybody would be like, wow, the Jesuit spirituality is not really my spirituality, right? Because they're just trying to rationalize their pathetic spiritual lives. <clears throat> what, they need, 
what Ignatius meant with this, the rules of discernment was this. These are universal. This is not just for the Jesuit order. These rules, these 14 rules, are for humanity. Okay? They, they deal with every single person internally, spiritually, how they live their lives. So these are universal. So we need to get away from the fact that these are just the Jesuits. These are for everybody. Okay? The first rule that I'm going to talk about tonight is Rule 12. Now, I, I brought this along because I want to read these to you. Because it's very important. Some people have kind of tweaked these rules, especially 12. And you'll understand why, I, I think, why they tweak 12 and turn it into something else other than what St. Ignatius wrote. Okay? So this is rule number 12. The 12th. The enemy acts like a woman. <laughs> Do you understand why they changed it? <laughs> the 12th tw- rule. The enemy acts like a woman in being weak when faced with strength and strong when faced with weakness. For as it is proper to a woman when she is fighting with some man to lose heart and to flee when the man confronts her firmly. And on the contrary, if the man begins to flee, losing heart, the anger, vengeance, and ferocity of the woman grow greatly and know no bounds. (laughs) He was a celibate, by the way. (laughs) In the same way it is proper to the enemy, this is very important, in the same way it is proper to the enemy to weaken and lose heart, sorry, it is proper to the enemy to weaken and lose heart, fleeing and ceasing his temptations when the person who is exercising himself in spiritual things confronts the temptations of the enemy firmly, doing what is diametrically opposed to them. And on the contrary, if the person who is exercising himself begins to be afraid and lose heart in suffering the temptations, this is, my, this is serious, listen to this, there is no beast on the earth which is so fierce as the enemy of human nature in following out his damnable intention with such growing malice. Now, when you read this, you, you, you know, at first you're like, whoa. You know, I mean, like, I, at least that's the way I am. I don't, <laughs> I don't know how you guys react. Because the, the ending of it, well, first it's talking about women, right? And then feminism kicks in. And then at the, at the end, all you hear is how ferocious the devil is to those who are weak-souled. But the heart of the 12th rule is that the enemy, what Ignatius is trying to tell us is that the enemy is essentially weak. He is not strong. He's weak. This is very, very important because I think that most people, when you think about the devil, right, and you talk to people about the devil, they're like, oh, I'm just getting my butt kicked by the devil, right? He's destroying me. His temptations are so strong. I'm constantly overbearing. I'm constantly going to confession. I'm constantly going to direction. I just get beat down by the devil. Ignatius is taking a totally different approach. And he is saying that the devil is essentially weak, and we cannot forget that. That God has already beaten the devil. We forget that. And that the, 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 the victory is ours. And that all we have to do is hold on to that. <clears throat> I just heard uh, Dr. Husingay gave, uh, gave us the clergy conference. It was excellent. He talked about the Gospel of Mark, but he, he was talking about how the victory's been won. He said, it would be equivalent to like Normandy, right? <clears throat> we stormed the beaches of Normandy. Once that battle was over, everybody was like, it's pretty much over. Now, it took another 11 months before the Nazis fell. But it was essentially over. The battle was over. But the, the struggle went on. 
And so our struggle goes on until the kingdom of God is firmly established in our hearts. But to never forget that the enemy is essentially weak. Another thing that you need to realize is the reason why Ignatius uses these metaphors, he's going to use three metaphors, and the first one is, as I said, the most controversial because it deals with women, like a nagging woman. And people have tried to change it to try to be more politically correct, and they, they say a little boy. Right? There's a little child. If you give the little child everything you want, then the child grows stronger and stronger and stronger, and it's malice. But if you deny the child, right, you beat down the child in a charitable way, <coughs> in, a meta, in a metaphorical way, <coughs> that then the child is much more under control. But to always remember that the only thing the devil can do is just play off of our, our emotions, our desires, our passions. He can't choose for us. And that he's essentially, if we confront him face to face, he is weak. But the reason he uses the example is not because he hates women. Okay? Ignatius doesn't hate women, so just get that out of your head. He uses these metaphors because they are so ridiculous. And they are so dehumanized. Everybody knows when you hear this, a woman is not supposed to behave like this. This isn't a woman. This is an out-of-control psychopath. <coughs> Which women can become. <laughs> but that is not what a woman is in her essence. And the thing that Ignatius is doing, he's using such a radical example. So that everybody will be like, oh... I get that you're saying that the devil is weak. You know, if you take the biggest man you can think of, I don't even know who that'd be, just a big dude, think of a big dude that you know, and then a tiny little petite woman. You see the, 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 why he's using this example. If the woman's freaking out and coming at him, she's like, I'm going to kill you. You know, the man's like, okay, you know, just settle down. You know, and she could be swinging at him and he, he could just kind of pick her up and put her in a place... <laughs> So the point is, is that, again, the enemy is essentially weak. And we should believe this. We should believe this. He is weak when he is faced with strength. But he is ferociously strong when he is faced with weakness. And so what we need to hold on to is our strength. You know, it sounds easy, but it's very difficult because we're too damn comfortable. We're way too comfortable. <clears throat> I, I love the story about uh, St. Francis of Assisi. Maybe you've heard this. And he, you know, he, 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 taught, he said his body, he called his body brother ass, right? And so like when <clears throat> he would be going around and his body would be like, well, I'm hungry. And he's like, oh, really, brother ass? You're hungry. <laughs> well, guess what? We're fasting for four days now instead of two. <laughs> and then he'd be, he'd be like staying up night, at night, late at night, and he's praying all of a sudden. You know, he'd have this, this, this kind of, Thing, this movement, this thought, I'm tired. I got to go to bed. And he would say, okay, brother ass, now we're staying up all night. <clears throat> now, I'm not saying you have to eat dirt, you know. He did do that. <laughs> I mean, that guy was, he was crazy. He was crazy in love with the Lord. But this movement again, so as, as soon as, and this is the point, this is the really, the most crucial part to rule number 12, is that the moment the temptation hits, not further down the line. Because I think any of us can know that feeling, right? Whatever your sin is, whatever your weakness is, when you get into it and you're a ways in, it's like a snowball, right? The snowball's little, it starts rolling, all of a sudden it's this thing and it crushes you. Some people talk about the tidal wave, right? So it's this wave and it's growing and growing and growing and growing until all of a sudden it just overcomes you. Ignatius is saying rule 12 needs to be implemented 
immediately at the source of the temptation. So the minute the devil starts complaining to you, or those thoughts, feelings, and desires come into your heart that say, I should take the easier way, you immediately move against it. This takes habitual virtue. And everybody, you know, I think so many people, I, I mean, I'm top on the, top on the list here, right? We, we just want to swallow like the holy pill. You know, as long as I take my holy pill every morning, I don't have to do anything. But there is no easy way to virtue. There is no easy way to anything good as far as I, I've been thinking about this a lot. I cannot find something that's really good that's easy to achieve. Everything is difficult. It's part of being human. And so we need to move against these things immediately. And Ignatius says, right, he says you, that if you don't, if you do, the devil will go. But if you don't, I just, I got to read this to you because you just need to hear it again. On the contrary, if a person who is exercising himself begins to be afraid and lose heart in suffering the temptations, there is no beast so fierce on the face of the earth as the enemy of human nature in following out his damnable intention with growing malice. And I think all of us in this garage can attest to that. When you start giving in to sin, you can feel it growing. You can feel it start to consume you. And that's exactly what he's talking about. And by that time, it's almost too late. I don't want to say too late, because it's never too late. But you have allowed so much to happen already. Ignatius is saying, get to the heart. Get to the source. And believe that if you stand up, this is a big thing. Believe it. If you stand up to the enemy, that he will go. He will leave. For a time. I like to put that little caveat in. For a time, he will return. And Ignatius goes into that a little bit further, right? But if we don't immediately act, he is crazy wicked, right? So again, just, to, just a couple points put in your head. The enemy is essentially weak. This rule applies right at the beginning. But even if you are further down on the line, you still can use it. But start to habitually work at doing it right away, okay? And again, you know, I think that if, if, if you look at stories of this rule. I try to get a couple stories so it's practical, right? Like seminarians, for example, are, I'm a vocation director now. They fall into rule 12 all the time, right? I guess we can say all of us humans fall into the rule 12 all the time, right? And what happens is, is they say, I'm going to be, a, I'm going to be a priest. You know, they come into, I'm going to be, I want to be a priest. And I'm like, yeah, this is awesome. Let's start feeling stuff. Yeah. And I give them the application and two weeks go by. And I, and, I, and I call or text, and I'm like, hey, how's the application going? Yeah, I think I'm supposed to be a deacon. <laughs> Anytime a guy who's thinking about the priesthood says he thinks he should be a deacon, he's a loser. <laughs> he needs to be a priest, and he knows it. But what's happening to him? What's happening to him? The de- <laughs> Unless you're married already and you want to be a deacon, then you can be a deacon. <laughs> you're not a loser. <laughs> But what's happening in the seminary, he, he makes this decision, he has this choice, he's going to do it, and all of a sudden, the devil comes at him with this nagging sensation about, you can't do this, it's impossible, right? Uh, you know, if you, you've never been able to stand firm in anything in your life, what makes you think you're going to be able to do it now? This is a lifetime commitment, and it's, this, this poor guy just sits there and he's like, oh, you know, and he's, he's consenting to everything. He's not rejecting anything. 
He's not asking Jesus for any help. I don't know about you guys. One of the things that frustrates me about the, the rules of discernment, I love them. I've, I've given my whole spiritual life to them. But one of the things that frustrates me is how quickly I forget to start talking to Jesus. Right? And it's all, you know, you'll be, you'll be having a great day at work or something, and all of a sudden you get a phone call, and somebody's like, your homily sucked. And I'm like, that's only happened once. <laughs> but in the midst of that, not that my homilies don't suck, but only, only one person called me and told me that. <laughs> but as a... <laughs> As I'm sitting there, I'm thinking about this, and I'm like, oh, my homilies do suck. And then all of a sudden, there's, these, there's all these thoughts that start pervading your head about how, like, oh, you got to do better. You're, you're pathetic. You, you suck at preaching. You're terrible. And, you know, you forget all this stuff where people were like, that was really good. Like, that really helped me and, and all these. But the whole time, you're just, you're, it's all self-focus. And it's like 20 minutes go by. Of mulling over this, and all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, I'm being tempted. <laughs> you know, like, I'm consenting to the devil. Instead of allowing, and, and then at that moment you just say, Jesus, I preach for you, and if they suck, you're going to have to make them good. <laughs> no, I can, only, I can only do so much. And you're, gonna, you're God. You can make up for the defects of what my stupid idiot self does. So do it. I'm not going to sit here and mull over this anymore. But the problem is, is we, that's why, again, I don't know what you guys have heard, but the awareness of the spiritual life is so important to know when you're being tempted, to know when you're having a self-dialogue, to know when you're turning inward, okay? So seminaries, my own experience with seminary, I want to tell you this. I don't know if I've ever shared this story with you. I don't share it with many people, but the Lord kind of put it on my heart that I probably should. When I was in seminary, I was a third, I think, yeah, it was third theology, and after third theology is when you, you do your final retreat and then you, you petition for orders. You know, and priesthood is, is obviously huge because it's the fullness of the sacrament. But diaconate's where you make your promises for celibacy, obedience, and praying liturgy of the hours. Right? They're ratified at priesthood. So that's, that's a big deal, diaconate. So I'm sitting there, my third year of, of seminary, I started getting bombarded by all these thoughts and I was just like, I can't, I, 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 I should, am I really supposed to do this? Am I really, and, and, and all these things were just kind of coming into my head and I was consenting to all of them. All of a sudden, it was really amazing actually. I started getting like these dizzy spells <clears throat> and, 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 we're, and I couldn't sleep. And, and all these things, and all of a sudden, then all the voices are like, look, you're a freak. You know? <laughs> not only can you not do priesthood, you can't even get your own life in order. And I'm like, oh man, this is terrible. And it went on and on and on. And I was trying to pray against it, but I kept consenting to all these lies, all these stuff. And it just kept growing and growing and growing. To the point where I'm like, I go to see a doctor. Doctor's like, you're totally healthy. I went even went, they, they told me to go to a psychologist. You know, it was really funny because the guy came up to me. He's like, so I looked over everything and it, it looks okay, but are you sad? <laughs> now, remember this is in Italian by the way <laughs> which makes it even more awkward and I'm like no I'm not sad I just am dizzy and <laughs> I can't sleep you know so he's like here why don't you take these there's like these sleeping pills well I'm kind of a hypochondriac anyway so I take the sleeping pill and I'm like nothing's happening it's not working 
It should be working. It's not working. You know, I'm like laying in bed, ah, you know, going insane. So I was like, I, I, I probably have to, this one didn't work. It was a placebo. I got to take a second one. So I take a second one. And all of a sudden, I'm just like, you know, <laughs> wake up the next morning. I'm like, I was, you know, and I woke up and I'm like, wow, I slept. And I'm, you know, I'm like still dizzy, you know. And I just kept, I kept consenting to all this stuff, you guys. And it just wouldn't go away. So I go on this retreat. It was my diaconate retreat. So now we're, now we're down to the wire. And the Lord has always delivered on my retreats. Always delivered on my retreats. And we get down to the very end of the retreat. And it was the worst retreat of my life. Absolutely. It was nothing. Nothing. It was completely dark, completely dry, completely absent, void of God, void of love, void of faith. And I'm at the last holy hour. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, I'm, I'm, I can't do this. And all these thoughts are like, you, you're terrible. You can't do this. And it's just like surrounding you. And all of a sudden, I'm like, Jesus. Now, this, I know this is really pathetic, but I'm a pathetic guy. It's the first time I think I really cried out to the Lord. I said, Jesus, you have got to help me. And it was, our, our, our retreat was over at noon. And at five to noon is when I cried out. And, and I, I got so mad that I like hit, I hit the chairs and my Bible fell off my lap onto the ground and it was open. And I was like, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> now this is dangerous, you know. <laughs> and they stoned him to death. <laughs> but, I, <laughs> but I pick it up and all I, it's, it's open to the agony in the garden. And I read through the agony of the garden. And it was like everything just, it all hit. And, and like, it was just like the Lord was saying, why have you abandoned me for so long? Why have you been believing this stuff? This was your garden of Gethsemane. Notice what my son did. My son turned to me. You have yet to turn to me. And so this is my pathetic self. I said, so if I turn to you, will you take away the dizziness? <laughs> And the Lord in his gentle and his, his merciful, loving self, he said, maybe. <laughs> the whole point was, is he was saying, you've always chose me when it's so beautiful. Will you choose me in the dark? Will you choose me over these lies? And I said, yes. And I'm telling you, the bell hit, noon, retreat's over. Dizzy as hell. <laughs> <laughs> I walked out happy, but, you know, stumbling. <laughs> And, and I said, I'm going to petition for orders. I petitioned for orders. I went, uh, wrote the bishop, was received, October, walking into St. Peter's Basilica, dizzy as hell. <clears throat> and I'm like, now I'm really dizzy because now, you know, you have nerves on top of whatever the hell is going on in my head. <clears throat> and I just said, I just said, Lord, if it's this way for the rest of my life, I choose you. I'm choosing you. And in some ways it was a, it was a bad prayer because I was, I was hoping <laughs> When I said that, it would go away. But I said, I choose you. Laying out of hands, got up, nothing. Laid down prostrate, got up, almost fell over. Then the bishop or the, the archbishop prayed the prayer of consecration over us. And as I was, lay, I was kneeling there, I said, Jesus, and this was a pure prayer. I just said, I just want to do your will. Which is beautiful because it's the prayer of Jesus in the garden. And he prayed stood up, it was gone. <clears throat> and hasn't returned. Now, it could. And I have to be ready for that. 
But the point of this whole thing is, is that you see how long, how long, if I just would have understood rule 12, I would have immediately done diametrically opposed to what, instead of believing the lies, I would have cried out to Christ. And even when I did cry out to Christ, it still took time, a lot of time. But will you do that? Will you in that moment say yes to him? That's what rule 12 is all about. And that the, ascent, the enemy is essentially weak. And you say, why, why did God allow that? He allowed that to bring me to a very clear spiritual truth that the enemy is essentially weak and he is strong. But I am only strong with him. That was the answer. Rule number 13. Okay. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm talking a little bit long. Likewise, he conducts himself as a false lover. You can see why. The, I mean, like, <laughs> these are like X-rated stuff here. <laughs> Likewise, he conducts himself as a false lover in wishing to remain secret and not to be revealed. For a dissolute man who, speaking with evil intention, makes dishonorable advances to a daughter of a good father or a wife of a good husband, wishes his words and persuasions to be secret. And the contrary displeases him very much. When the daughter reveals to her father or the wife to her husband the false words of the depraved intention, because he is easily perceives that he will not be able to succeed with the undertaking begun. In the same way, when the enemy of human nature brings his wiles and persuasions to the just soul, he wishes and desires that they be received and kept in secret. But when one reveals them to one's good confessor to another spiritual person who knows his deceits and malicious designs, it weighs on him very much because he perceives that he will not be able to succeed with the malicious undertaking he has begun since his manifest deceits have been revealed. I want to argue, 12 is huge. I'm sure you've heard rule number 5 is probably the biggest one of all of them. I think that rule number 13 is what holds back so many people from sanctity. It holds back so many. The enemy is a deceiver and a liar. And the truth becomes distorted with him. So we need the voice and the perspective of another who anchors us in the truth. Now, what does that look like? It looks like the church, for starters. You need the church. I mean, I, don't, I think I'm preaching in the choir here. But you need the church. In a very specific way, though. Sacramentally and as a guide. Two ways. And most people take advantage of the first one sacramentally, that are solidly Catholic, but few will take advantage of it as a guide. Okay? You need the church to soar in your spiritual life. And, you know, and I, could, I could throw a rant out about the necessity of the church because we're all idiots and we don't really know what we need, but I don't think I need to do that here because we understand the necessity of the church. But the point of Ignatius, he's saying, our strength comes from relationship. Our strength comes from relationship. And we need good, healthy relationships. And I want to argue too, I mean obviously first in Christ, then in the bishop, priest, your spouse, but we need good fraternity and good sorority. We need good woman, women being together, we need good men being together. One of my top five most enjoyable experiences as a priest is when I was out at Minokin and we did the group called the Creasters. <clears throat> Right? It was an all-men's choir, which was pretty bold, with a bunch of ranchers and farmers from Minokin. And, and, I might add, pretty terrible. <laughs> you know, the first, the first night we sang, we got done, and, and, and God bless his soul, Bob Averly, he was like, we suck! 
<laughs> but what we'd do is we'd practice. We had four practices leading up in Advent to Christmas where we'd sing for the entire church for Christmas Midnight Mass. And then we'd have one for Easter. And the Christmas one, it was Advent. We'd, we'd practice for an hour, and then we'd go, and as, as Paul Kane would say, we'd soak the vocal cords, right? <clears throat> so we'd have some drinks and hang out at my rectory. One night, we sat around. There were probably about 15 of us, and we were out in my garage. We were smoking cigars. And, I mean, I was, like, pontificating. <clears throat> Just, and these, these guys, it was, it was so beautiful to see, like, they wanted more and they wanted to be challenged and they wanted support in the midst of those challenges i'm telling you we stayed up till like 2 a.m and it was beautiful and some of the guys after we got done they walked up to me afterwards they said father we need this we need this not the drinking and the smoking (laughs) we get plenty of that what we need is good solid fraternity and we need good groups of women as well where they can sit around and they can share what's going on in their hearts. That happened that night. I bet if you asked any of those guys that were there, they would deny it to, the, to their grave. But we shared about what was going on in our lives. And it was absolutely one of the most powerful experiences I've had as a priest. Some of these guys have been holding on to stuff in the darkness. And they just want, and once one guy was like, yeah, this. And everybody's like, yeah. And the guy's like, you mean you're going? And they're like, Yeah. It was huge. It was absolutely huge. But you know, men, we have to be all tough. and We can't share. And women sometimes share too much. <laughs> so there's got there's to be a mediator in there. And that's why, and I'm not saying like it has to be a priest, but Ignatius says very clearly, it has to be a good confessor or another spiritual person. And when he, he qualifies a spiritual person, he says a spiritual person is somebody who is trained in the rules of discernment. Just because you're praying and living a good life doesn't mean you are qualified to lead other souls. You have to be trained in these rules to understand. He said specifically, you need to know the movements of the enemy. Because only then, once you've been accustomed to them and you know them and you know how to move against them, can you help others to do it too. But the enemy wants us alone. He wants us so damn isolated that's why, I, you know, solitary confinement is so diabolic. It's the worst punishment you can give to a human being. Because it cuts them off from being human. But there's, I know millions of people, I don't know millions, but I'm assuming, I know millions of people that are in solitary confinement right now. Walking around. Totally trapped internally. Suffering from myriads of stuff. And they have no one to share with. They have no one to guide them. They have no one to listen to. And half the time, even if they did, they wouldn't share. Why won't they share? Well, because I think they're too afraid of being seen as weak. Everybody's supposed to have it together. Which is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Because none of us in this garage, in this city, in this state, in this world have it together. We're all a mess. And we need one another. I mean, again, I hate to harp on this. I've talked talk about other, other talks, but like, what was so attractive about the early church? Their community. You had men that hung out and didn't just, they weren't just good men encouraging each other to virtue. They actually talked about what mattered. 
A guy could come forward and say, I'm struggling right now in my marriage. I'm struggling right now in my job. I feel like I'm losing my mind. I feel like I'm losing my way. I need your guys' help. But we don't do that anymore. We don't do it enough, that's for sure, if we are doing it. You know, I think that, you know, and, and, and why does the devil tempt like this? Well, because this is what hell is. This is the essence of the diabolic. Isolation. Loneliness. Now, I think maybe I told you that story before when the, uh, an exorcist was, there was an exorcism of, a, of a, a man who was possessed, and the exorcist asked this person a question because they try to learn more and more about the diabolic, right? So he said, imagine there's two men that hate each other. They're just malicious to one another. They hate each other their whole lives. They, they hurt each other. They backstab. They gossip. They crush. They hurt. And they both die. He said, Dude, will they spend eternity hating each other forever? And the demonic said, you are so stupid. You have no idea what hell is. Down here, everyone lives caved in upon themselves, torn apart by their regrets. Hell is absolute isolation. It is like a cemetery. Do you see why the devil wants you to be in isolation? When do people make their worst decisions? When they feel like they're alone. When do people take their own lives? When they feel like they have nobody. When they're completely alone. This is the demonic. This is the devil's movement. He wants to get you there. If you're wondering, you know, first of all, Ignatius gives two places where we can share this. One is confession. It's the best place you can share it. It's the first starting point. But I don't think it's enough. And maybe I'm a heretic. I don't think it's enough. Because confession, as beautiful as it is, and as strong and as powerful as it is, there is no accountability except the confessor. And the confessor can't talk to you outside of the confessional. So it's not like if you come up, you know, and, and you know, you're saying, I'm, I'm killing people left and right. I can't approach you outside and be like, you need to stop doing this. Let me help you stop doing this. I can't do that. So there has to be accountability outside the confessional. That's why we need good, solid groups. And that's why Ignatius says, so take it to confession or to some spiritual person. This is why spiritual direction is very important. However, I want to be clear about something. Spiritual direction has become kind of a buzzword in the modern day and age, especially amongst young people. Right? I got like half the University of Mary asking me to be their director. <coughs> and half the time it's like, you don't need direction. You just, you know, you need the boyfriend. Or you need a... <coughs> you know? Right, Teresa? You know like... Anyway, so when do you need spiritual direction? When you, ha- when you really want to grow deep in your faith, you can label the movements in your heart when you realize the attacks of the enemy, the assaults, where he's moving, how God is moving, then a director comes into this whole thing. Until that point, you got to be praying and you got to be with good people. Guys that will encourage you, women that will encourage you, you know, will drag you to the confession, will drag you to the, 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 the church or whatever, to a talk, to a Bible study. These are the things, these movements, these first have to start happening. And then in the midst of that, as you grow to love one another, you have a place of security where you can talk. We don't have any talking. You know, and half the time it's just spouses. And that isn't always healthy either. Sometimes a guy or a husband or a wife needs to get out and just talk about what's going on to get an outside perspective because both the husband and the wife can't agree. So either they're just going to keep fighting or they need outside help. I seriously think this is one of the most dangerous places that the devil can get us. 
In rule 13, okay, the crucial importance in the spiritual life, he says this, there are three things. There are signs of the enemy's action, what persons we are to share with, and what content we should share. Okay? The signs I want to give you really quick. I, you know, I got this from Timothy Gallagher. It's excellent. He says, whenever you feel within yourself a voice saying this, you cannot speak about this. You can speak about anything else you'd like, but not this. The person to whom you will, see, you will speak will never understand you. The person will be so shocked that you are so weak and you feel such things in your heart, they'll lose all respect for you. They'll lose all esteem that they had for you. You're a leader. How could you be so weak? It is best just to say nothing and do what you can yourself to carry this burden. Now, you don't have to raise your hand, but I bet everybody in this garage has heard that voice. Some of you hear it daily. Such persons find themselves too busy to seek counsel. Too busy to form solid relationships. Or better yet, they lose themselves in their busyness to silence the voice. And I think it's St. Peter. Remember St. Peter when he denies Christ? He's sitting in John 21, the epilogue, and he's going out fishing, and then the Lord calls him in. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Right? You remember that? Okay, okay. <laughs> I, wasn't, I, I, I thought maybe I summarized it too quickly. Okay? But in that, in that, what is Jesus trying to get Peter to do? He's trying to get Peter to deal with his issues. He doesn't want to deal with them. He wants to work. I'll just work harder. That'll solve everything. And it doesn't. All it does is suppresses the thing. And as Father Chris Catermas says, he calls it the uh, hydraulic effect. As you suppress this, this one goes up. And you suppress that, that one goes up. We want to even keel. Otherwise, we're just le- living in these huge extremes. Okay? Now, certain things can arise. I just want to be clear about this. And make it difficult for working out problems. I understand that. Or working to meet with a person or, you know, all these things. But I will say this, okay? If a person is thinking about speaking to a a specific person about a spiritual problem, but finds this voice of of fear, and then also finds that they're too busy to get to this, this engagement, pretty good chance the enemy's working on you. When those two simultaneously go together, pretty good chance you're running from something. Okay? Second, the appropriate person. He says, obviously, the good confessor, so somebody in confession. And again, as I said before, the word spiritual means somebody that is, is schooled in the rules of discernment. So not just anybody can do this. Okay? Second, or a third, the content. What should you share? What should you share? Everything. Everything. And this is why it's so important to have good relationships with people you can trust. You know, and I'm not saying these had to be huge groups like the Creasters out of Minokin. But one or two guys, one or two gals that you can go to and you can lay it on the line. In confession, the minute you walk in there and you say, I should not be saying this to the priest, that should be your first sin you say. Maybe it's something from your past you've been holding on to for a long time. I can't talk about this. If he hears it, he's going to think less of me. I want to tell you right now, I think a hell of a lot more of a person when they lay it all on the line. Why? Because they care more about what God thinks than what I think. And that is a true act of humility. Okay. One thing, uh, again, to so, so lay it all line, I use this example uh, really quick of a doctor, right? You go into a doctor, you see a doctor, and the doctor's like, you know, let's say you have this, like, huge, like, you know, disgusting boil on your butt, right? And you go into the doctor, and the doctor's like, what's wrong with you? And you're like, well, I'm sick. The doctor's like, okay. So, can you give me some symptoms? Well, I feel a little sick. 
<laughs> Can you elaborate on the sickness? There's general pain in my body. <laughs> right? What is the do- Can the doctor assess and cure the thing you're talking about? No. What do you have to do? Pull on your pants and show them your butt. Like, it's right there. That's what hurts. Fix that, you know? It's the same. Why would it be any different in the spiritual life? I find so many overlaps between the medical world and the spiritual world. I mean, sometimes, you know, before a doctor, you got to bear it all. <laughs> you know? And sometimes in the, in the confession, you got to bear your whole soul. God can't heal what you won't show him. So to show them in the confessional, but also show them in the context of a close group of friends, right? So you feel comfortable to share with. And I want to encourage you guys tonight. Some of you may suck at sharing. Specifically the guys. And ladies, I, I encourage you to do it too. But guys are terrible at this. That we start getting serious about this. That if we're struggling with something, we've been carrying a burden for a long time, that sure, you can talk to me, you can talk to Montana Richter, whoever I... And talk, you know, to, but to your own guy friends, we need to start building one another up. And that's what makes for more true masculinity in this world. Okay, final one. This is the shortest one, I promise. Okay, rule 14. <clears throat> Likewise, he conducts himself as a leader, intent upon conquering and robbing what he desires. For just as a captain and leader of an army in the field, pitching his camp and exploring the fortifications and defenses of a stronghold, attacks at the weakest point. In the same way, the enemy of human nature, roving about, looks in turn at our theological, cardinal, and moral virtues. And where he finds us weakest and most in need for our eternal salvation, there he attacks. Again, the best part about Rule 14, it's the only rule where you can actually set up a defense. Right? These other ones are, once it hits, you're like, boom! You know, you're ready to fight. This one, you can prepare. How do you prepare? You look at your own life, you pray, you do self-reflection, you figure out where your weaknesses are. Right? We call this the temple of the Holy Spirit. I call this the fortress of the Holy Spirit. Where is he going to attack in this fortress? What point? So we can prepare, so we know, okay, maybe I struggle with greed. Maybe I struggle with anger. Maybe I struggle with lust. Maybe I struggle with whatever. That is the place that we need to fortify. You know, I have a, a guy that calls me periodically when he has really long days at work, he gets tired of work, he drives home, and he's, he's struggled a lot with chastity. And as he's driving home, it's been a really long day, he'll call me. And he says, Father, I'm getting ready to go home. Uh, it's been a really long day, a lot of problems, a lot of difficulties. I want to go home tonight, and I want to rest. I need you to pray with me. And as we, you know, and I pray with him, we talk about it, get all that out. You see how they're all working together now? See all, all, all three of the rules, right? So that he's already hearing the voices. You're going to fall again. You're going to fall again. You're going to fall again. Keep it secret. Keep it secret. Just get home. Just get home. You'll fall there and nobody will know about it. And what does he do? Immediately attacks, moves against it. Call somebody. Get it into the light. Start talking about it. Start moving against it. Have somebody help me move against it. We're in this together. This battle was never meant to be fought alone. That's why Jesus sent him out two by two, right? And so as he's, and so I call, get done, I say a prayer over him, give him a blessing, he goes home, sleeps, sleeps perfect. Otherwise he goes home, how many of you have had a really hard day, you don't have to raise your hand, really hard day at work, and you get home, and you want to kill somebody. And sometimes you often do. <laughs> it's because we're, we're given into these things. The battle, the minute you walk out the work door, the battle has already begun. You know, most of us are like, the battle's over. I got done with work today. 
We're driving home. But the battle has just begun. Because now you're tired. Now you're weak. Now you're in a point of laziness. And he will attack like crazy. And again, you sit back and you're like, what kind of God do we have? Why would God allow this? Because it builds faith. It builds saints. You can't build saints without, right? All things, all things grow by resistance. You want bigger, you got bigger muscles, you got to lift bigger weights. You want to be better at sports, you got to go up against bigger and better athletes. You want to be holier than a saint, you got to suffer temptation. It's the only way to sanctity, okay? So how do I strengthen these points? Obviously, God is my stronghold. The psalmist says it best, right? Uh, you know, my God is my fortress. Strength comes from communion. I can't, I can't stress this enough. If there's anything you should walk away from this talk, it's simply this. Number one, it is most important to fight back immediately. Number two, let me think. Get it into the light as soon as you can. Number three, have a good support system. And number four, it is all about relationship. First with God, then with others. Because you are going to, as Pope Francis said, you're either serving God or you're serving the devil. You're in relationship with somebody at every point of the day. You're either in relationship with the devil or you're in relationship with God. But only you can make that choice, okay? So, what do I have as my, how do I, or sorry, <laughs> when I rely on what I have, that's where the enemy attacks. When I rely on what I don't have and let God provide for me, that's where the enemy backs off. So the immediacy of the rules. And you should be fired up, you guys. There's Ignatius, this last one. I have a feeling he wrote it as his last rule because he was a warrior. He wanted to show that the whole damn thing boils down to a battle. And the more aware you are of that, and the more succinct. Imagine this. Just really, I'm sorry. These things just pop into my head. I swear I'm almost done. <clears throat> but imagine this. Imagine you're on the battlefield, you know, and you're like sitting there, and all of a sudden they're just shooting, shooting. Everybody's shooting at you, and you're like, well... I guess I'm screwed, you know? I mean, actually, there's a story about this. I can't remember who the general was. It was in World War II. And the, the, the American soldiers were outside, and the Germans had occupied this house. And they were shooting at the Americans. The Americans couldn't get in. And this lieutenant showed up, or this colonel, and he comes up, and he's like, why haven't you taken the house? And they're like, sir, they're shooting at us. <laughs> he's like, this is war. He's like, give me your grenades. And he took two grenades, and he took two other guys, with their guns, he said, you follow me, you cover me. The guy starts shooting, the general goes up, and he heaves two grenades <laughs> into the house. Boom, Germans are done. He goes up, that's how you take a house in war. Or we can just sit there. They're shooting at us. <laughs> the devil's tempting us. I mean, Jesus is like, well, do something. For crying out loud, don't just sit there. I mean, that's how saints are made. Through excitement. Through the realization and awareness of the spiritual battle and for a movement against it. He needs soldiers. He needs warriors. He needs those that will support, right? The rules are all about relationships. Stay in relationship and the enemy will fundamentally be weak in your life. I can promise you that. Thank you.